You may not be familiar with the name Edward Rory, but the work of this 20th century artist and author is legendary. While living in New York City in the 50s and 60s, Gorey illustrated books and he also won a Tony for designing the Broadway production of Dracula. And later, he lent his talents to animating the introduction to the PBS series Mystery, where horror icon Vincent Price welcomed viewers to Gorey Mansion. And later, Gorey escaped to Cape Cod to live a bit of a life of a recluse. Good morning. This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Robin Shannon with members of the Life Jacket Theater Company in the studio. They're bringing Edward Gorey's legendary life to the stage. Fordham professor Travis Russ wrote and directed Gorey, The Secret Lives of Edward Gorey. Also joining us is actor Andrew Dawson, who plays one version of Edward Gorey in the play. Good morning. Morning. Good morning. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So what's so unique about this play? Wow. Uh... What's really unique about this play is that we have three different actors play one role, and that role is Edward Gorey. So Andrew, who is here with us today, plays Edward Gorey at age 75. The second actor plays Gorey at age 35. And the youngest actor plays Gorey at 25, uh, a few months before he, he publishes his first book. And so these three different versions of Gorey are lovingly represented on stage because they show this artist at different stages of his life and his career. So why do it that way, uh, Travis, instead of deciding to have one person play him, period? You know, we, we started actually, the first version of this play, there was actually only, it was going to be a one-man show. But the feedback that we received from the audience was he he has many shades to his personality. There are many personas of Edward Gorey. Um, and he often contradicts himself. So what's great about having three different uh, people on stage being the same person, because they talk to each other throughout the, the, the show, they actually argue with each other. They disagree <laughs> with each other. Uh, they have different memories of the same event. Um, and it's kind of wonderful because time moves forwards and backwards throughout the show. Uh, so we have the younger one realizing what lies ahead of him in his life. And then we have the older ones looking back and remembering what was. So, Andrew, how did you play that part? Well, it's interesting because uh, it's both it it both these characters both feel like part of me because we're playing the same uh, man, but also they feel like like friends on stage, and um, it's it's as if I think we all do that uh, kind of talk to our younger self maybe, uh, or try to imagine what is you know is in store for us. Um, and all of that now, of course, is out in in the play, and so it, it's it's a, it's a thrill to be able to explore that. Um, and you feel you, your characterization as the as the actor feels so much fuller because you're getting all of the information not only from the gory that you're playing, but from these other two gories. And and the way that I did the workshop of this, and and the way that we kind of informed one another um, was so helpful and I just it was much more of a meaningful deep um, character analysis. Andrew how did you interact with each member was it an equal amount of time that you spent interacting or did you interact with one version of Gory more than the other? Well it's interesting because as we were working on the workshop of this um, we didn't have as much interaction in the beginning uh, of at the at the beginning script um, and as we worked through it, uh, we found that we just started interacting with each other, even if we didn't have lines, you know, because we were on stage mm -hmm. together. 
and um, uh, in this in this full version that we're doing, I think Travis really took full advantage of that. So we we learn something about Edward Gorey because there are three. You know, there's a reason for there that there are three Edward Goreys, uh, not just that it's not a one man show. There's there's a real reason in the writing. And we and we pulled um, these three actors at these particular points in his life because one, the younger one, it, again he's on the threshold of publishing his first book. The second one, he's published a few books and is is really uh, uh, on a really good trajectory for becoming a well known successful artist. And the third one, uh, you know, plays him at age seventy five, and he actually dies at age seventy five. But it's it's a beautiful beautiful full picture of this really very talented artist and what's what's lovely about the show is is we f- we found these great moments of exchanges between the three actors um, uh, that that you wouldn't get in a one person show there's there's a, a great sense of energy and chemistry between these three these three men um, one, one thing I should point out that the reason why we, 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 we embrace the idea of putting three people on stage to play this one person was as I was Half of this play is based on real transcripts of, of interviews Edward Gorey gave. He only gave a handful, um, and his notes and his diaries and his journals. Um, but I realized as I was coming through that text that he would contradict himself, uh, not necessarily between ages, but often days or hours, uh, or even during the same interview. And I wanted, instead of, I initially found that very frustrating as a, as a playwright, but then I realized, ah, that's where the play lives. It it lives in those contradictions. How do you write that though? It, you would just have to embrace that uh, that that sometimes he contradicts himself. Sometimes he actually lies during interviews. Sometimes he makes <laughs> up stories. And instead of just trying to root out the truth, you have to embrace the ambiguity. And and we don't we don't pose answers in this play. We raise a lot of questions and we raise a lot of possible answers, but we don't tell audiences this is why he decided precisely to uh, move from New York City to uh, Yarmouth Port up in Cape Cod. Um, we, we 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 speculate a lot. The other thing that's that's uh, interesting for me in in everything that I I do, but but I just think in general is is that. Uh, one of the great things about the theater, in particular, well-written plays, is that you get to see people, the the, the private side of people. And Gorey was a you know, notoriously uh, a, a very private person and didn't share his private life. Uh, and there's so many unknowns still about you know who he was and and uh, what he was like. And so this play really attempts to give the audience a glimpse of who the private Gory was. And there were so many misconceptions about who he was because his art was, uh, you know, there was some darkness to his art and it was a very kind of gothic kind of thing. Uh, People just expected that he was like that. But uh, at least for me, I've discovered that there was a big, there was was a joyousness about him and a childlike quality about him that, that I'm not sure a lot of people saw. And so this play really explores that. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon. Today I'm talking with director and playwright Travis Russ and actor Andrew Dawson, who are bringing the legendary life of 20th century artist and author 
Edward Gorey to the stage. Travis, how do you direct Andrew into playing Gorey differently from the other two who are playing Gorey? I think what's great about the show is usually in a play you have, let's say, a cast of five and they're all playing a different character. And then one day I went to rehearsal and I was like, oh, wait a minute, let's actually use this to our advantage where you don't have to have five different conversations with five different actors. You have one conversation with the three actors about the same role. And it's not about me necessarily. My style of directing is is less of a director and more of a facilitator. Where I raise that a, well, I raise a lot of questions to them, and I I propose a lot of challenges to to the actors, and and I I truly believe in letting them guide their own journey, and and putting them in the driver's seat. You know, providing a, a vision and a goal, but allowing them to take the initiative to guide the process because at the end of the day it's them out there on stage in front of an audience doing the performance uh eight shows a week and they they have to carry the show uh fortunately i'm in a, a much safer place uh <laughs> in the audience uh or backstage uh but it's them who 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 bring this person to life so a lot of our conversations in rehearsal uh are with all three actors simultaneously and having them come up with their take on the same character. And it's a lot of dialogue, not just between me and each individual actor. The dialogue happens between the three actors. Yeah, it, it, and really kind of, and what Travis does uh, is he kind of creates an environment where we're really allowed as actors to inform one another. That's important in any play, but in this play, it's it's very important because we're the same guy, you know. So so, you know, the, the environment is is of of really just being open enough to watch and observe the behavior of your other actors, and then and then try to and then all three of us trying to incorporate that into kind of a single vision. It's ch it's challenging, but it's uh, it's unique, and um, uh, you know it's uh, it's 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 just a lot of fun. Andrew, what made you? I'm gonna. This is a two part question. Can, Andrew, I, can I just jump in? Real oh, quick? sure. Uh, I just uh, I do think my job as a director happens mostly in, during the audition process, finding the right people for the role and finding the right people who will work together in the type of environment I like to create in the rehearsal room. It's very interactive. It's it's uh it's it's mostly democratic. I mean, certainly there's some uh, <laughs> mostly. mostly mostly because at the end of the day, someone has to make the call to say this is what the show is going to be and this is what we're going to have to end up doing. Um because we have an opening night on the horizon and we have press coming. Um but uh, Andrew, in particular, is is so open to that process and so willing to play in the room and and explore. And the other two actors, fortunately, we we found what are their names? We have Phil Jellen. What age does he? Phil plays uh, Gory at age twenty five, and Aiden Sank plays Gory at age thirty five. And both of them are incredible actors and have a sense of play and. Uh, open-mindedness that really create a positive climate in the in the rehearsal room. So now, um, Andrew, we know why Travis chose you. 
Why did you choose this part? Why did you take this part on? Yes, I would love to hear that answer. Well, it's 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 interesting because I I mean I knew uh, certainly I knew who Edward Gorey was and you know but but just kind of like most people I knew him of with the PBS bumper uh, for for a mystery and then also I I knew him uh, from Dracula. Um, but I didn't. I, I had a lot of misconceptions about who he was. You know, I, I didn't really know who he was as a man. Um, and I saw apparently um, nobody did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I thought, well, you know, I was looking for someone with a, you know, who's older, and I've got a gray beard, and I kind of look like him. So, he looks right. a lot like Edward <laughs> Gorey. You know, that, that's one of my first things. Is well, do I look like the character? Okay, okay, maybe I'll go to that audition anyway. So it's been great. And truly, as a playwright, I I don't I don't know if you would agree with this, Andrew, but I don't feel precious about the text. No, I, thank I, God. <laughs> like I'm constantly writing lines down that they say either accidentally or just playing around with the lines, um, especially when they're interacting with each other. And saying that, we got to put that in. That it makes it, it, it makes its own way into the script. And he's also very patient with me kind of groaning about, oh, really? This, what is this line? <laughs> what I is think this that's line? So you know what important. I mean? <laughs> I think it's so important to have that dialogue between actors and a playwright and a director. Um, I think a lot of people in this profession are closed off to those conversations, and you see it reflected on stage. Um, so it's I, almost like you're taking pieces of who they are and adding it into the text, and it's. would you say that makes it easier to play? Well, it certainly it, it gives you great ownership as an actor. And, you know, that's one of the most frustrating things about being an actor is, is that you don't necessarily – you own the role for as long as you're working in that play, but – the 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 six the eight the ten weeks end, and 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 then next year someone else is going to do it. You no longer own that. Do you know what I mean? And so it's frustrating. Like an artist, a painter will own a painting. But someone who writes something is going to own that for the rest of their lives. Actors don't get to do that. Theater actors. So when you actually start a role and you originate a role, you do feel a sense of ownership with it, which is for me fantastic. What inspired you to write about Gory Travis? That's a that's a great question, and and I've been asked that several times, and I, I don't know if I have a great answer, but <laughs> but here's the answer. Um, it it was I stumbled upon Edward Gorey. I I'm not a super fan. I was I, you were I, in Cape Cod. Right? I was in Cape Cod at a bed and breakfast, which uh, serendipitously uh, is right next door to the Edward Gorey Museum. And uh, I was there with an ex, who is now an ex, uh, and <laughs> and uh, it, it, we're still best friends. <laughs> okay. And um, we asked the innkeeper, you know, what is there to do in, in Yarmouthport, Massachusetts? And he said, well, you have to go to the Edward Gorey House Museum. And we're like, who's Edward right. Gorey? <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and where is this museum? And he said, well, it's literally right next door. Like, it's literally 25 steps away. And popped in. Saw the mannequin wearing the uh, fur coat that Edward Gorey used to wear, walking up and down the campus at in Harvard, walking uh, in the streets to Gotham Bookmart. He was a sight. He was a sight to be seen. Learning that he had seven cats towards the end of his life, that he collected twenty five thousand books. Looking at what he called his collections, he would collect rocks and put them into families because he thought they looked less lonely that way. He collected these sort of metal objects. He loved glass and put them in the windows. He was what we would call a hoarder. 
but um, a sweet hoarder. I, I mean, think... there was a, there's a sweetness about mm-hmm. him that 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 I love that this play brings out. There's a charm, and yeah. I mean, we call it a Valentine to Edward Gorey because it's embracing that uniqueness, that outsiderness. I mean, that's really what I love to do as a theater company. I love to look at people and examine their lives if they live on the edges of society, if they're considered an outcast. Instead of rejecting them, I want to embrace them, and I want to figure out why are they the way they are. And that's that's the goal of this play, is to really examine his life and figure out why did he make the choices he made. I like the word eccentric when I'm describing him, and the fact that he sort of resembles, to me, I was thinking Grey Gardens. Did, did either of you think Grey Gardens? I like to say this play is, is a fusion between Grey Gardens uh, and Boys in the Band. Because we have the, the individual who has escaped the world, who's decided, for whatever reason, I'm done with New York. And I'm going to gonna live in, in, in this very small town up in Cape Cod. And in fact, he he went to the ballet for every single performance that George Balanchine ever choreographed. That's pretty eccentric. Um, You go to not just every ballet of a season, every performance of the ballet for the for the New York City Ballet. So he would go to, you know, show after show after show. And then George Balanchine died. And Edward Gorey said, there's nothing left for me in New York. And he decided to move up to Cape Cod permanently. And interesting enough, even though he lived in New York City for for many years, he did not even come back to visit for five years. And we don't really know why. We have a few guesses, uh, and the play speculates about— Because uh, there is an idea that that he was uh, in love with George Balanchine. Yeah. But there's different kinds of love, too. There are different kinds of love, and Edward Gorey never said uh, He never labeled himself. He never labeled himself either as gay or straight. Um, But— then again, he hints at it, and we know from his archives that there there was some relationship, there was some affection at least between him and George Balanchine and his college roommate, the famous poet who unfortunately died on Fire Island, Frank O'Hara, um, that he did have relationships. We just don't know the exact nature of those relationships. And there was love there. Now, whether or not that, how that was expressed physically or not, is uh, is a mystery, obviously. And it's a mystery in this play. We don't really answer that. But we do show that sense of love, you know, and, and the longing. And that was something that, that was part of, 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 even when you read his interviews, which don't have much to do with that, there, you, you, can, you can feel that. You can just feel that in the words that he says. I know a lot of people may struggle to understand sexual ambiguity. They may see things as either gay or straight, like there's, a, there's that definitive line. You have to be one or the other. So how do you get an audience to relate to your character who in real life referred to himself as, quote, reasonably undersexed? And he really, as we said, never labeled himself. How do you bring that out? What, what does that even mean, actually, though, right? <laughs> like, he says a lot of things. You're like, well, wait a minute. What does that mean, reasonably under sex? And the other thing to remember, of course, is you have to remember the time in which he, he grew up in. You know, in the 1950s. He, 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 uh, well, and he was, you know, born in the 30s. You know what I mean? And this is, you know, we, we speak about it much more freely now than we ever, than we ever have. But 
uh, th- there were a lot of men uh, of his generation that lived the, lived very very closeted lives. Now I'm not saying he did, but but that was certainly not out of the ordinary, and it was something that you did not talk about. And that and that's what's great too about having the three men play Gory at different ages. So we have the 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 25 year old trying to find his identity both as an artist and as an as an individual um, in the 1950s. And then we have the one in the middle trying to figure out his identity in the 1960s and 70s, and then the older one during the 1990s. And the record of the of of the older Gory, you know, there was there was a um, there was a bit of a flamboyance about him uh, throughout his life. But as he grew older and as times changed, um, it seemed that he he accepted that more. And you know what I mean? It was more part of him. And that's another thing that's so great about, again, this, this three character, uh, concept is, is that we get to see how he changed, you know, how, how he became freer with whom he was and with what he said. What were some of the highlights of his career? Um, definitely winning the Tony award, although he didn't go to the, the award ceremony. Uh, and he said it was the worst part of his life, uh, the most tedious part of life. Why? That's a really good question. That's <laughs> that's really actually how he was able to afford the house in Cape Cod and um, buy it outright. Uh, and and why I should mention this house in Cape Cod, very large house. I think it had four bedrooms, five bedrooms, uh, just for one man. Um, but he, he Wait, did... you get paid for winning a Tony? Well, you get paid to design the Broadway show, and oh. he designed a toy theater based on his... Um... And it gave his art such notoriety, you know. I mean, it was called Edward Gorey's Dracula. Dracula, right. Um, okay. So to have that on your resume was was really impressive, and, and it, 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 it increased your awareness of who Edward Gorey was. And, and then shortly thereafter came the mystery series. And and then his books are quite lovely, and they're actually rare collector items. My favorite ones being the Gashley Crumb Tinies is perhaps the most popular. I have a very, very strong affinity for the Unstrung Harp, which was his very first book, which ironically told a story of a writer who was struggling to write his uh, his next book but lived in this very, very large house by himself hmm. and saw ghostly versions of his character appear at different points in the house, in different parts of the house. Anyway. Yeah, the more, the more that you read him and you know him, the more autobiographical almost every, mm-hmm. even in an obscure way, almost every book is. Because mm-hmm. he, like, illustrated Cats, the book that was based on the Broadway play Cats. Mm-hmm. And the thing for me was uh, Aesop's Fables, which was what I grew up on, and, and that, that was my connection there also. Mm-hmm. You know, so he has this, so he, he has this history that even though people might not recognize his name, they know his work. Yes, and usually if you can show some, if you can show someone his, uh, a, a drawing of his, they'll, they'll recognize that, him immediately. That, that, you go to any oh, airport in the city and you look at their calendar section, there's going to be an Edward Gorey calendar. Right. It's just inevitable. Right. Travis, what part of your play did you decide was going to be fact and what part was going to be fiction? How did you decide which part was going to be which? You know, I strongly believe in letting the play tell me what it's going to be. And I don't know if that sounds too uh, abstract or conceptual, but I really believe whatever, whenever you're creating art, it's going to guide you. And and Edward Gorey's words... Uh, guided, framed this show. And whenever we wanted 
whenever we didn't have enough information, whenever we wanted to go a little bit deeper in in his psyche, if you will, we fiction entered the world, or at least speculation entered the world. Um, finding the joy in his life, that, that was a huge window for us to climb through and explore just explore what what did he do by himself up in this very large house in Cape Cod and just letting our minds wander and using very simple lines that he he'll drop a lot of hints like in one one interview he 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 mentioned that he uh, corresponded with a museum curator in New York named Michael well that's all he ever says about Michael but it's like when when did when did they meet right and what did they talk about because there's no known correspondence between him and Michael uh, but he was important enough be. for him to mention, so hmm. He 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 drops a lot of hints in both his drawings and during his interviews. Now again, he changes the story, but trying to tease out those first of all, finding those little hints, those little nuggets, and then making them theatrical so they're exciting to watch on stage. So what do you think is gonna surprise audiences about this play? the the joyousness of his life even at the end and he was you know i must say he was a you know we, you know we say he kind of lived in a reclusive life up in 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 massachusetts but in a way he was a very reluctant recluse you know what i mean he would he would go out into the little village and he would go to the bookstore down there and he put on puppet shows and i mean he he wasn't a, he wasn't a shut in at, by any means um and i think that uh, people just don't know that about him so i think that's going to be surprising so, Travis, you've been tweaking and tweaking and tweaking the play. Is there anything that you want to change about it now? I think we're in great shape with the play. It's just actually getting richer and more uh, in-depth as with every rehearsal. Uh, I'm really excited what, what we've, we've accomplished, and I'm excited for audiences to come see it. This is a question for both uh, you, Travis, um, and you, Andrew. What do you hope the audience is thinking about as they drive home after seeing Gory, the Secret Lives of Edward Gory? It's really hard to explain this play and, and explain what people should, should take away from it. Because it's a very, on one hand, it's a very abstract play. On the other hand, it's, it's a play about an artist getting older and who doesn't necessarily fit the mold, doesn't necessarily fit into one particular box, who actually uh, rejected the idea of of what we thought a man should be and a man should become and he I, perhaps that's one of the reasons why he moved up to cape cod and and did his own thing and wrote his own rules um he was his own little rebel and i i for me and this is true of everything that i do but but certainly of this is you know you want the audience to walk away at least having the moment or two or three or however many moments within the play of recognizing something that happened in themselves. It's like, oh, yes, I know exactly what he meant when he used that turn of phrase. And uh, that's that's what I always want. Plus, I want people to to go out and, you know, read his books and, mm -hmm. and look at his art, you know, because he was a great artist. So, Andrew, can you give us a little taste of what we'll see when we come see the play? And, and Travis, does this need a setup at all? Uh, maybe a little bit. So okay. we, we talked about uh, Evergory cross paths with actually many famous individuals. We talked a little bit about George Balanchine, and he definitely had an affinity for, for Balanchine and, and, and his work. Um, and again, that was the, the reason why he decided to move out of the city. 
Um, one of the, the, the famous individuals that he had a relationship with, and we're not, again, we're not exactly sure the nature of the relationship, was the poet Frank O'Hara. Um, they were college roommates at Harvard University, and they, they always kept in touch. And, uh, and Frank O'Hara uh, actually died in Fire Island. Um, and, and Gory in his interviews talked a little bit about his, his relationship with Frank. Again, a lot of hints, a lot of suggestions. So what you're going to hear now are some of Edward Gorey's real words mixed with, uh, speculation. I suddenly feel old and I, I don't, I don't have the faintest clue as to how I went from my, my college years to my sunset years with absolutely no warning whatsoever. Nobody ever said I would get so old so fast. Drat, to put it mildly. It's like what my, my friend Frank O'Hara used to say. Well, dear, after 30, you have your bad days, and then you have your bad days. I, um, I have this, this picture of Frank and me. And he's, and he's wearing this, this beautiful blue sweater I gave him for Christmas. And I'm in this, this old yellow rain slicker and the... The wind is blowing madly, and my hair is a mess. And, and, and when I first looked at the picture, I thought, well, now, who is that battered old sea captain? And then I looked again, and I said, well, that's you, you silly twit. On the back, Frank wrote, let's grow old together. You first. I miss Frank. I really do. But... As Dorothy from the Golden Girls once moaned, how come whenever my ship comes in, it's leaking? I'd like to thank my guests, Travis Russ and Andrew Dawson. Gory, The Secret Lives of Edward Gory, runs April 30th through May 22nd at the Here Art Center at 145th 6th Avenue in Lower Manhattan. For WFUV's Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon.